Two. 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 Girls, come on. Now, the reason you all get so uptight when someone speaks honestly is that you're suffering from sexual malnutrition. <laughs> I'm not suffering malnutrition, honey. I'm suffering from starvation. Can't we Charlie, turn just to something more pleasant? Huh? Could I have two? Of what could be more pleasant? Oh. Well, you sound as if Paul isn't coming up with it. Sticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. It's Kristen Lopez. Hi. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to to chat with me today. I appreciate it so much. Well, absolutely. How are you doing? I'm I'm surviving. <laughs> it's all I got at this point. My work is the only thing that keeps the days separate. So you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I understand. How are you doing? Really well. Really. That's awesome. I'm hosting a couple of Bible studies a week on a conference line. Oh, I've heard I've heard about that. Yeah, I'm writing and I'm rewriting and doing a lot of praying for our country and the world. <laughs> I bet, I bet. Yeah, it's very crazy times. You know, I get to I can't say I can't complain much because you know I have have my job, which is keeping me busy, keeping me afloat. So, you know, I get, to, I get to read and, you know, have time for movies, which is, which is good. It keeps me, keeps my mind sharp, at least. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to my amazing podcast fans. We're doing this big Road to 100 episodes. I can't believe I can say that, that we've gotten that many episodes under our belt. I know they're they're eager to get to hear you talk about your amazing career. So I guess the generic question to start with, I know that the story is that you were discovered having lunch on the Sunset Strip. Can you talk about coming to Hollywood and starting out as an actress, what that was like? I really didn't intend to be an actress. I, I, I wasn't coming here to be an actress. Really? Uh, no. I was having lunch at Frascati's on the Sunset Strip, and an agent approached me, and I was having lunch with a couple girlfriends, and she said, what do you do? Are you an actress? And I said, yes. I lied, and I was kicking my girlfriends <laughs> under the table. And he said, what have you done? And I mentioned all the plays I'd ever seen, and he said, you're too young for those parts. And I said, well, I do anything. I just I just do a lot of different parts. I, that's the kind of actress I am. I was just lying. <laughs> and he said, can I have your number? I said, no, but you give me yours. And I was working downtown Los Angeles at a, for Eleanor Green. I was his hostess and so he was a dress manufacturer. And so I would place orders and hire models and I worked there, and so I said, let's check this guy out. And sure enough, he was a Hollywood agent because he said, I want to take you to 20th Century Fox, and I want you to meet Jerry Wald because he's casting a movie called Gene Harlow, and I think you'd be perfect for that. So I said, can I have the day off next week? And my wonderful Oscar said, yes, you can. So I went to uh, with his agent to meet Jerry Wald, and lo and behold, he wanted to test me for the part of Jean Harlow. And if anybody wants to know details, they can find my book. Right, right. It's called Dear Carrie. And I never, ever push my book, but I will tell you that details are in it because 
I don't know if I told you this, but it was released six and a half years ago, and it was on the New York Times bestseller list weekend. Four and a half years later, it was on the New York Times bestseller list three more times. I know. It's it's awesome. Well, that's what it just meant to me, my love, was that the public identified with it. Because to have it happen four and a half years later without a press agent or without a publicist or without doing a series or talking about it. So that's the reason I mention it now. It's a great book. And, I, you know, I tell everybody, if you want the, the Hollywood story, like a, a well-written, passionate one that's awesome, your book is always the first one I recommend. So feel free to talk it up more. Well, no, it's just the reason I mentioned it is because I, I can't give all the details. In yeah. But the book deals mostly with my relationship with Cary Grant. Yeah. I don't like to get into on podcasts. So <laughs> the book to find out about that. Oh, no worries. I wasn't signed because they said my nose was too flat after the test. And I said, too flat for what? (laughs) And they said, your nose is too flat. It photographs flat. So I said, okay. And I was signed to go around the world to publicize a movie called Lake Girls, which publicity said we were in, but we weren't. And it just went on from there. Came back from that and thought it was a great lesson because it was kind of all based on lies. None of the girls that were, there were two other girls with me. We were gone for months and we went to premieres and we went to all kinds of things and premieres in every city. So I got the glitz and the glamour of Hollywood real fast that really didn't wear well with me. It was just not substantial enough for me. Was just premieres, and it was about nothing really that had anything to do with ability. It was all fake. So I went to work in an acting class with a man by the name of Sandy Meisner, who was amazing. And if any of you hearing this or reading it or whatever you do with it, get your art down, get your craft down, because none of it really means anything without that. And I had, I was blessed to work with this amazing teacher, Sandy Meisner. I worked with him, I think, one or two seasons, and it just went on from there. It just started to go, and once it started to go, it went. Oh, I'll tell you what happened. Some of the directors and producers in town had great respect for Sandy, so they used to come and watch some of the classes. And I think it was through that that I got a job, although we paid for those classes. We got paid because so many of us got jobs that way. Mm-hmm. So that's how it started. Well, do you know offhand, the Jerry Wall, Gene Harlow, is that the one that ended up being done with Carol Lindley or Carol Baker? There were two. Well, it was probably, if Carol <laughs> Baker was the most recent one, then it was probably the other one. They literally came out, I think, within three or four months of each other in 65. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, they're both, one's black and white, one is color. I think, I want to say the Baker one had more money than the Lindley one. Okay. They're very weird projects. Uh, so it was a very interesting time to have those dueling Harlow movies that apparently only I remember when I bring up to classic film fans. I'm like, you know, there's two Harlow biopics. And- yeah. You know something, my love? You're absolutely right. And I've completely forgotten about that. <laughs> right. And I remember I thought it was so interesting that so often what happens sometimes in Hollywood Somebody will get a hold of an idea and two will come out about the same thing. 
that happens so often, doesn't it? Exactly. It does. Yeah. It's amazing to look at the movies that you did back to back to back and the amazing directors that you, you worked with and actors for that matter. I mean, of course, one of your earliest films is Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice with Natalie Wood, who everybody is talking about now. Sir. The new documentary that Natasha did is coming out this week. I'm a part of that. I'm you are. You are. I got to watch it last week. I actually wrote the review about it. So I got to... What got, kind of reviews did it get, Love? I haven't seen everybody's review. I know that there's a mixed response depending on how you feel about, you know, the family dynamics. And, you know, as somebody who loves Natalie, I wrote a review. I was like, it was great to get to hear Natasha and Courtney talk about, about their mom, which I think gets lost in a lot of the, the publicity about her demise, which is unfortunate. So for me, it was like watching a great story that I hadn't heard that I feel like is worth telling because I feel like their story does not get the appreciation that it deserves. Which story, love? Natasha and Courtney is just hearing them talk about their mom. I think her as a mother never gets the recognition that it gets. You know, it's usually like actress and the work and then her tragic demise. And so I feel like getting to hear them share their stories about having great Christmases and their struggles with dealing with her death is it was so emotionally resonant for me. So I was I was really happy that I got to see it early. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, well, exactly. It's a, it's a fantastic group of people that got assembled. And the generic question I have to ask, there's so many stories about Natalie. You know, for you, what was, was there something that was surprising about finally meeting her and acting with her in that film? Well, first of all, just to give you what I think is interesting, I was working in theater in Chicago, <clears throat> and my agent said, can you possibly get to L.A. next weekend? Why? He said, because they want to test you for a movie called Bob Carroll, Ted Malice. And you've also been offered a five-picture deal at Universal. Wow. So I came into town on a Thursday, I think. I was tested on a Friday, read that script, just thought it was the best thing I'd ever read. Of course, I hadn't read a lot, but I'd read some. And... I looked at what they wanted me to star in a film with Don Knotts. That was the first film at Universal. And it was, you know, he was wonderful, but with a whole different energy. Let's put it that way. And my agent wanted me to go with a five-picture deal, of course. When I say of course, that was just his advice at the time. But my gut said no. I wasn't promised anything. It was a test. It was a screen test that they wound up using to sell the movie with at National Association of Theater Owners. That was it at NATO. So I went with the test, turned down the five-picture deal, got the part, and then after that movie just went on from movie to movie. What surprised me about Natalie was the way she took me under her wing. She was just so mm, welcoming and warm and protective. At first, she kept her distance, but after we had worked together for a while, because we did rehearsals, she was amazing. And we became fast friends, and I became a regular at her home, and she guided me. And I'll never forget the day Streisand came to talk to Natalie about a clause in her contract that would give her time to talk to her psychiatrist, because Natalie had that in her contract, that she had time every day to meet with her analyst. And I was so deeply affected by her passing. No one seems to know today, even today, what happened. But God bless her and God bless her family. And the kids are wonderful. And 
Natasha made me the most beautiful dog, Terry Cage. <laughs> I got to talk to, to Natasha last week, and oh my gosh, as, as somebody who is like a Natalie Wood super fan, it was, I, I tried so hard not to cry on the phone, but I was like, you have no idea how amazing it is to get to talk to you, you know, and, and talk about your mom. So I'm sure she's used to that, but it was, it was awesome. Yeah, she's a darling girl. Well, I think it's fantastic, I mean, to, to look at your career, especially as we're talking so much about women in the industry nowadays. I mean, you've worked with some of the manliest, I guess, directors and, and actors in the early 70s. I mean, I think of something like the Anderson Tapes with Sean Connery. You worked with Otto Preminger. You know, what was it like to kind of hold your own against some of these, not just titans of the old Hollywood acting, which had been slowly changed as the studio system collapsed, but some of the directors as well? Yeah, with Otto, it was a real challenge. That was a real challenge. He was, that's the only experience I've ever had with a director that really was difficult. There's a lot of, a lot of nasty Otto Preminger stories out there that I've been unfortunate to read about. So it, it seems like a yeah. pattern. He must have been, my love, he must have been a very unhappy man. Because he wrecked havoc. I remember one day we had little kids on the set, and I remember him making one of the little kids cry. Yeah. And I took, I took the little kid into my dressing room to calm him down. And, you know, I, Roger Rothstein, it's so interesting the way that name comes to me, was uh, the production or the one of the producers. I can't remember his exact title now, but he was the one that said the location manager, whatever it was. He just walked off the set and left. He just left right after a couple of weeks of filming. We were on the New York streets, and that would happen. He was really challenging, let me put it that way, to work for. But then he went on to make movies that I adored, like Dialogue 17 and yep. Laura. Remember that movie? Oh, Laura is fantastic. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Brilliant. Brilliant. But there were actors and actresses who should be nameless who paid great sums of money to get out of their contracts with him. Yeah, it's you hear stories about his relationship with Dorothy Dandridge and some of the interactions that he had with Marilyn Monroe. And, you know, there's definitely there's definitely more to to his personality, I think. And yet the work, the work is just so brilliant. The work is brilliant. I will be the first to say he was a genius. But, you know, what about love? Yeah. What about love? What about love? The reason we should all come together to work together to produce something wonderful, whether it be a drama or a comedy or reality, whatever it is, what an opportunity to have a oneness and to have fun and to work together, but to have such animosity and such hatred vamped. And I just think he must have been a very unhappy man because you can't live inside that with that kind of a nature and be happy. Yeah. You know? Was working with Sean Connery and Sidney Lumet on the, the Anderson tapes a oh. different challenge? Or? No, that was absolutely wonderful. As a matter of fact, I dated Sidney for a while. Really? And it could have been something serious. <laughs> now, that's a genius. That's a genius. Yes. That's a genius. I've worked with some genius. You have. Genius. <laughs> Yeah. You definitely no. It's so much different today. Like, it is because of what's going on, and it really is. It's not just because I was there working with those people. It really was different. It really was, and the and the budgets were. You know, we we shot longer on smaller budgets, 
and it, there was such teamwork and such joy and such fun. Not always fun because sometimes it was very challenging, but with a atmosphere of oneness. So God bless Otto. I'm very grateful. When I think of him now, I think of the work he did. Yeah. I have no animosity against him anymore. I think I did when I left the film. It was tough. Well, of course, I've already heard you talk about The Last of of Sheila, which I'm sad that my my listeners couldn't get to hear that amazing talk with you and and Richard Benjamin when you were at The Egyptian, which feels like a million years ago now when we could all interact at the movie theater. But what was it like working on such an ensemble cast like that, which was a mix of old Hollywood and new Hollywood, James Mason, Raquel Welsh, that Sondheim Perkins script. Uh, I know you've talked about it in in an amazing theater setting, but can you talk kind of the highlights of working on on that film well we rehearsed for two weeks Mm -hmm. where we rehearsed i think we rehearsed in the south of france as well and we shot on Saul Siegel's yacht. Nobody thought about what it would be like when the ocean got tough. <laughs> and the ocean got tough. And so we spent, oh my gosh, maybe an extra month there, which was very hard to do in the south of France. What a pleasure. We were all delighted. But we all had other films to go to. Schedules had to be changed while they built the set because we couldn't go on the couldn't film on the boat anymore. And of course James Mason's one of the great actors of all time. Just to hear that voice every day, I can't even imagine. I'd let him read the phone book. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, he's he was very special. And Joan, my beautiful Joan that I flew over with. Joan Hackett, one of the special women. Richard Benjamin, who's just now he is a genius. He really is. He's that that man is he's just brilliant. Besides being a director, producer, he's he just knows. I mean he's just got a sense of excellence and commitment. So I loved working with him. James, Raquel was a hoot. Raquel, I'll never forget. First day she walked out in her bathing suit. I thought I've never seen a body. <laughs> so beautiful. When you and yeah. you and her had, I don't know who had the better hair in that movie. What you were Raquel, I, it's just it's. I'm envious of everybody's amazing 1970s do's in that film because everybody has impeccable hair for being on sea. Well, my hair is naturally curly, so it was a real job keeping the frizz down. <laughs> so I just decided to let the frizz show because that's what happens on a boat. Yeah, it gets frizzy. It's so the I worst. Thought, uh-uh, I can't fight this, so I'm just going to let it frizz. So it did. We just would put a little oil on it, which would make it go a little flatter. And her bras was an absolute jewel. And I had a house in a uh, oh, beautiful house in the hills with three different levels. I remember we had the, the cast party there with candles that we took from the film, those big standing tall mm-hmm. candles and put them in the house. And James' son, Morgan, who is a friend of mine still today. In fact, he was here at the house. Oh, really? Yeah, and he's a darling man. And he was, what does he do on that? He was one of the note takers, production managers. Now, he wasn't a production manager, but anyhow, beautiful family. And who else? You know, the guy that played Raquel. Oh, uh, Ian McShane. Yeah, he's amazing. 
What an amazing group of actors. It's insane. I mean, it's nuts. My James. James. Oh, my God. I know that Sondheim and and Anthony Perkins kind of wrote it based on their own kind of mystery parties that that they would throw. Had you gone to, was there much interaction with them? But I know Richard did. (laughs) Richard played that game with them in New York. To be a fly on that wall. James went to James Coburn because it was so long. We had to wait for a month for the set to be built. So James Coburn went off to India, and when he came back, he brought a manservant. Now, what does that mean? Well, <laughs> they're trained to do, you know, everything around the house, including bathing you. And James said, you've got to let this guy bathe you. I said, do you know what fat chance means, James? No. <laughs> He's not going to bathe me. He said, Diane, if there's nothing sexual or sensual about it, the guy's been trained to do that. He does that. So I said, after somebody else tries it, maybe. So I can't remember who did. I think one of the assistants did, one of the production <laughs> assistants did. And she said, nothing sexual, just amazing. And so you sit in the bath for an hour, and he just rubs your feet and your legs up to the knees and your back and your neck, and he does that for about an hour, a little over. And it was heaven. But that was because James brought a man servant. <laughs> it's a very James Coburn move, I would think. Like, I would expect that of him, just based on the movies that he did. I'd be like, that doesn't sound weird. That just sounds like something he would he would naturally do. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a special guy. Oh, yeah. Well, then, you did one of my favorite movies that you, that you started in is Heaven Can Wait, as the scheming wife that has such a great interaction with not just Warren Beatty, but, but Charles Grodin's character, and you were nominated for your second Oscar for that. What was what was it like working with Elaine May and Buck Henry's script and, and working on that production? Amazing. Well, you know, I turned it down three times. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine you not in it. I've turned it down three times because I said, I don't know how to play her. She's crazy. (laughs) I don't know how to play that woman. She's just, and Warren said, you're the one I want for it. You're right for it. Trust me. So I said, okay. And of course, Elaine May is a genius and Warren is a genius. And Buck Henry, God bless him. I just saw him. Who was it? Somebody showed that film last year. Buck and I were there. And since he has passed on, but talk about, you know, how how blessed I've been to have worked with all these geniuses. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's why, you know, I think it's so exciting when I told people that you and I were speaking because you came of a time where there's that still that old Hollywood studio system, those actors still working. And then there's that whole revolution in the 70s with filmmaking that is now feels so weird now in an era of like big superfluous multi-million dollar comic book films that it's just this weird, this amazing transition that, that you got to be a part of that I'm incredibly jealous of. <laughs> you're right, baby. I, you're so right. I got to be part of something so amazing. I, I was doing some research and I read somewhere that you were in the early 70s. Paramount wanted you to star 
in a remake of Double Indemnity in the Barbara Stanwyck role, and then they turned it into a TV movie, and it didn't didn't happen. But you ended up playing a Stanwyck character in Christmas in Connecticut. What was it like to get to dabble with being a Stanwyck character and being considered kind of for for Double Indemnity back in the seventies? I honestly I don't remember all that because there were so many movies I turned down. Then I I don't know what was wrong with me. <laughs> Really, or right with me, but for one reason or another. But Christmas in Connecticut, before I was hired before Schwarzenegger was. Oh, okay. That was the first film he directed. Yeah, I believe it's his only film. And Chris Christopherson and I starred in that. What a darling man. And Tony Curtis is in there as well. Tony Curtis is in there, that's right. Oh my gosh. I love the original. So when I found out there was a remake and you were in it, I watched both of them back to back, which was very, very cool to get to kind of see how things were transitioned for different medium of, you know, we don't have magazine writers talking about cooking. So we have this. So it was very, very fun to get to watch both of them back to back. So who was in the original besides Barbara? It's Barbara Stanwyck, uh, Dennis Morgan, Sydney Greenstreet, I believe Una O'Connor is in there. So she's kind of like the de facto big name, and then everybody kind of orbits around her. Well, I had great fun making it. Great fun. You know, to know now about Double Indemnity, or is there a desire to have done it back then, now that we're talking about it? You know, honestly, there's just a couple of things that I... This one thing that I regret not doing, and that's not it. Oh, okay. Double Indemnity is such a it's such a hard film, you know. And I know that the what is it the early '90s they did so many neo noirs and they they remade a bunch of them. But it's you know you got to find the right one that doesn't sound like completely weird and hokey and, and all of that. Well, a producer friend of mine, a very big producer who's also a manager, came to me and they wanted to do a remake. Of Bob Carroll, Ted and Alice as well. Really? It's hard to do remakes when the first one has been such a big hit. Exactly. If it's been a big hit, then go for it. But if it's been a big hit, I I think it's stupid to go near it. (laughs) Well, I have to ask, a lot of people, when I told them that that I was going to speak to you, a lot of people brought up another Lume film. They brought up Death Trap and uh, wanted me to ask about that. And that was a movie I, I hate to say I haven't seen, but now that everybody's talked about how amazing it is, I feel like I need to see it now. Oh, yeah, that was that was Sydney's film, Sydney Lumet. It, it was a good one with Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. And me. Yeah, that was a good one. That was Sydney. That's Sydney's genius. <laughs> I remember we went on a stage. This was before Christopher's accident, of course. But we went on to a stage, and it was the first time that I had seen a, a, a movie with, like, like a set on a stage, only the lines were drawn. Sydney had the reputation of bringing in every film before schedule, not after, before. And there was a reason for it. So we would run the movie just like a play. We would know where we would be standing. He would have his camera angles ready. He knew what would be in the backdrop. So we'd run it just like a play. And Death Trap was a play, a very, very big play. Yeah, with Ira Levin, who did Stepford Wives, wrote it. Right. And so that was why. That was why he came in ahead of schedule. And when I think about it, it was just brilliant. And why didn't more people do it? 
because you'd run it just like a play. So then you'd have your camera guy there, you'd have your prop guy there, you'd have all the main guys there. And they'd know exactly what was needed, where the camera was going to be, the shot Sydney would want to get for it. So none of it was left to chance. And working with Michael and with Christopher was amazing. It was amazing. Well, it's it's uh, fantastic to talk about. You know, I mentioned you know some of the amazing directors that you've worked with, and then you worked also with Martha Coolidge, who is a beloved female director. When you did Out to Sea, what was it like working with with a woman at the helm versus all the the male directors that you had worked with previously? Was there a distinction? I guess no, not really for me. Uh uh-uh. uh I I think that talent is talent for me. Working with Martha was a pleasure. She's a divine woman. And, of course, also Elaine was playing my mother in that movie, Elaine Scritch. Oh. Yeah. Talk about a brilliant act. I have her her biography that just came out. I have it on my Kindle, so I'm going to be reading that later. Oh, she was a hoot, honey. (laughs) She was a hoot, yeah. When you also have... Not always easy. No, no, not at all, not at all. When you also have Matthau and, and Lemon in that film, too, with Elaine Stritch. So I, I can and imagine they, what that was like. When they saw her coming, they'd walk away. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was going to have it her way or the highway. Uh, but her, way, her way was usually right. She was, Martha knew how to deal with her. Martha had to call her into a trailer more than once. <laughs> uh, I wish I, that's that's what I dream of having having the power to intimidate people like Elaine Stritch that I haven't hit on it yet, <laughs> but it's my dream. No, you're so, easy. <laughs> I mean, you so much out of people because of your sincerity and your ingenuity. Oh, I so. I try, I try. It's, yeah. it's you know. Well, I figure there. You know, nobody's nobody's a classic nerd like me in my my little circle. So you know, I gotta. Got to keep the flame alive. <laughs> you do that well, love. I remember our our talk very clearly. Yeah, I know. It feels feels so long ago when we could all interact with each other and not worry about everything else. I'm a Laker girl. Yes. I can imagine when that's going to happen again. I know. It's crazy. I know I missed I, TCM. The film festival was supposed to be in April. That was my big. I had my my whole day off, my time off scheduled, and it didn't happen. And I was very blue for a couple of weeks. But you know, it is what it is. Trying to be optimistic. Yeah, that's we have to be, love. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna have hardballs thrown. How do we handle them? How do we deal with them? Exactly. Try, optimism. Optimism. Well, I don't want to take up your entire day, which I'm sure I easily could. So I'll I'll throw out one final question. As somebody who has worked in in nearly every facet of filmmaking that we that we have, you know, how do you look at at filmmaking today and the discussions that we're having about representation and and this need to make filmmaking more expansive? You know, how do you look at at Hollywood today, having started out when you did? Well. First of all, TV has changed so many things. Yeah. It? The the mystery that we had then, we didn't have when I was filming. Was the paparazzi wasn't around like mm-hmm. now? Oh yeah. And the the kind of movies they were making were different. You said it so well just a little while ago. You know about the special effect comic book movies. Mm-hmm. You know. 
which is which I'm not putting down. There's there's an audience for everything, but I find that there's there's a harshness now in movies. There's a harshness. How do I explain that? It's um, it's less it uh, maybe maybe as somebody who watches way too much TCM, I always feel like there's an impersonal quality to it to filmmaking today. Maybe yeah. yeah. I'm missing the heart. Yeah. I'm missing the heart. In a lot of ways, we've come slick. I don't know. Did you see a movie called Peanut Butter Falcon last year? I did, yes. What do you think? Um, you know, as somebody who writes a, a lot about disability in film, and I'm usually very upset and disappointed, I was really pleased with it. I was I was really happy to get to see, you know, a, a happy film about just a road trip and it's not meant to be you know look at how sad this person's life is it's look at how this person's going on this amazing journey and you want to follow these characters and you want to have fun with them and you know I for I, I was super happy about that because usually when I watch movies about people with disabilities you know it's, it, you know it's, as somebody who is disabled I'm like why is it always very sour why is it always look at how sad this person is like you know we have we have good days you know I, I want to see more of those movies I want to see more road trips and romances yeah. and, and, you know, not, not sour dramas. Not everything has to be sad. Or so dark. And I, I think that all of the films have a real effect on the world. I mean, it seems very, very interesting to me that the entire world has been made to stop now. Not just L.A., Chicago, New York. The world. We were running around smartly, the politicians, the school shootings, the sex trafficking, the, all of it, all of it just became, the world was, it just looked like the world had gone nuts. And I hope that when we come out of this, that the bonding that's gone on with families and stopping to take a look at what's really going on inside ourselves, not outside ourselves, but inside will hopefully lend itself to making a healing for, for people all over the world, like the earth is being healed. In the very first week, the waters of Venice were blue again because people weren't throwing their garbage in the water. I've heard that, yeah. I, I have from my condo views of the mountains I've never seen since I lived here. I was I was shocked. I saw a cloud. I saw clouds yesterday. I'm I'm in Toluca Lake and I looked out my window and I was like, it's really it's a lot of clouds outside. I'm not used to seeing yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. So I think that I'm so, so sorry and saddened by all those that have lost loved ones and and ones that are dealing with it now in a very but I, uh, there's also some a lot of good going on. Mm -hmm. There is. I know you agree with that because I just know you do. Oh, I do. Yeah. No, there, there, there is. So, and yet again, I'm grateful for all the good movies that are made. I wish they'd make more comedies because <laughs> I think I know. I don't think. You know, that's what I'm working on now. My, I don't know if I told you, but my book was options. You mentioned that at the Egyptian, yeah by ITV and the guy that wrote Philomena. How is that how is that progressing by the way? Well he's writing the third hour now. So 
He's finished two hours. It's going to be, I think, a four to six hour miniseries. Oh, my gosh. My show, my Evening with Diane show, is we've got 25 songs written and all kinds of things going on with that. And a, and a possible, I may do a TV show. We'll see. Oh, we'll see. yay. We need we so, need you more out out there on TV and film. If only so I can geek out and talk to more people about making them watch Heaven Can Wait and, and all the other movies you've done. So I need more. You're so sweet. So a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of good things are going on. And I'm getting ready to release my rap that I wrote 20 years ago. Really? Oh, yeah. So a lot of fun things. A lot of fun things. It's never... It's never too late to do what you dream to do, you know? Exactly, exactly. When I, I'm super excited even more that we're talking because tonight on TCM, it is a Natalie Wood tribute. So they're not showing Bob and Ter- uh, Carol and Ted Nellis, which is upsetting. But I feel like it's the fates are aligning. So it's it's a good day. <laughs> oh, are they showing the documentary tonight? They are showing, I think on HBO, I think it's tonight or tomorrow. Don't quote me on that. 